Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. Live from a bank vault somewhere near Chicago, Illinois, this is the award-winning stamp show here today, episode number 189. Brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center. Stop. It's 190. My bad. <laughs> I'm Tom. I'm Cash. I'm Scott. I'm Don. And I'm Stan. And Katrina's here too. Say hi, Katrina. Hi. <laughs> <It's> observer only. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> you have just become a participant. <laughs> Today we'll be discussing Mao Zedong, the newly rediscovered missing inverted Jenny, plate blocks, and more. This week in history, September 9th, 1976, Mao Zedong dies. Mao Zedong, or Chairman Mao, died of health complications on September 9th, 1976. He was a leader of China's communist government from 1949 until his death. Born in 1893, Mao joined the nationalist movement against what was deemed an ineffective royal government in the 1910s. In the 1920s, he became disenchanted with the nationalist movement and believed that only a revolutionary change could bring China freedom from Western domination. In 1921, he became one of the founding members of the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP. Mao became the head of the CCP in 1935, claiming that the other leaders lacked military strategy and zeal. Mao's forces throughout the 1930s and World War II continued attacking the Chinese government and were ultimately victorious. Later in 1949, the Communist People's Republic of China was created. Many stamps featuring Mao Zedong were issued during his life. The first stamp issued featuring him was PRC Scott No. 10, issued February 1, 1950. There are some more notable and higher-priced items, including Thoughts of Mao, PRC Scott Numbers 938 through 948, and Mao Writing Poetry, PRC Scott Numbers 967 through 980. These stamps all range in price from a few hundred to just over $1,000. In 1967, there was a stamp created for the 50th anniversary of the Autumn Harvest March, which featured Mao Zedong and Leng Piao against a blue sky. The stamp was never issued, but a few did manage to enter the marketplace. In a 2010 Hong Kong auction, a cut stamp showing the right half of the design sold for 235,000 U.S. dollars. Imagine what a whole stamp might get at auction. Do they even know if any whole stamps exist? Either you guys know? Scott, Cash, I have, Stan, I have no nobody. idea. I don't know what stamp they're talking about. It's because yeah. it was never issued. Well, yeah, but there might have been one issued with a hole in the stamp, though. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, there's been, you know, like China is red. That was never issued, right. uh, and that's a really super expensive one. There's a hole in your stamp, dear Mao, dear Mao. Inverted Jenny missing since 1918 found. A Chicago area family has found the missing position 49 Scott C3A, the inverted Jenny. The stamp, which has been missing since shortly after it was discovered in 1918, has been in a safe deposit box, unaffected by light and changing conditions. Just sitting in a safe deposit box. Yeah. Somebody was smart. 
Pretty so much. they so they opened the safe deposit box and said, "Hey, look what I found." Mm-hmm. Do they know? As far as we know, do they know if they actually knew it was there, or was it? A I mean, obviously, yeah, put I mean, it there, but uh, and somebody was like paying the well it, box rental fee. Been in the family for like three generations. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. so that's I mean they knew it was like the great grandfather, and it was passed down, and it was passed down, and. But did they knew? No, actually, it was one of the missing ones. I don't know if they knew that. It's actually the only one that has been unaccounted for since 1918. They know there's a bunch that are in private hands now, and they don't know who has them or where they are. But this one was, other than the stolen ones, this one is the only one that was actually missing. The owner of the stamp who asked to remain anonymous did not want to risk damaging the stamp, and a stamp expert flew to Chicago to pick up the stamp in person. The stamp brings a total of never hinged copies of the stamp to six and was graded a 90 by the foundation. Though many of the stamps have been sold to anonymous collectors and their whereabouts are known, this is one of the only stamps that has been unaccounted for since the discovery of the sheet by William Roby. It's also the last stamp to have an image in the public domain. Actually, I followed up on that. There is one because they don't know what the other McCoy block of four stamp looks like. So it was probably reperforated or something. No, the, but well, we have. But they have they an have image the of it picture. before. Yeah, they have the before picture, but they don't right. know what the after so, picture so looks like. So they know where the plane is, whether it's high or low, left, right, whatever. Yeah. But uh, obviously they can't be sure of what the perforations look like because yeah. they don't know if it was trimmed or reperforated or something like that. But this does bring to only one missing Stamp. One missing stamp, and it is the last one to be imaged. But the cool thing is, this one is never hinged. Oh, absolutely. And what, 19 of them are no gum, right? It's going to be as good, I think, as the finest known. Yeah, this is going to be the holy grail of C3As. This is either going to be equal or better than, I think. Well, I saw a picture of it, and it looks really sharp. It is well-centered. It is a nice-looking stamp. wonder how much he paid for it. Oh, back in 30 years yeah, ago or whatever? $125 or yeah, something like that? Yeah. Maybe? <laughs> talk about appreciation. Oh, yeah. Well, talk about just a windfall fall walk, uh, opening up your safe deposit box, and all of a sudden, cha-ching. You know? <laughs> well, I can't imagine that nobody had opened it up over the years, yeah. Uh, but they just decided, oh, that's nice, and they put it back. They thought it was a normal C3 or something like that. <laughs> Non-stamp collectors were looking at it oh, or yeah. something. Oh, yeah. yeah. I would love to find out how they actually opened it up. and uh, I'd like to know how it was stored. Yeah. Did they go over that at all, Stan, in the article? No. I think I read the article in Lynn's. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, this has been every place. This was in Linz. This was in Linz e- Online. I, I got it from the New York Times. Yeah, the New York Times and the newspapers are covering this big time. I oh, mean, full well, page stories. Well, when on you're it. talking about finding a million dollar stamp that's been missing for a hundred years, of course yeah. it's of course it's going to hit regular newspapers. Oh yeah. Do other never hinged copies have been certified by professional stamp experts as sound with grades of seventy five and eighty? Yeah, this one I think is better than an eighty. I well, it's a ninety. I think it's a... Now, you're talking about never-hinged examples. Oh, yeah. 
What was the, the highest grade is in 95, right? Right. Cash has his own podcast. Our he, own Cash has started a side podcast called Relics of History based on his stamp exhibit. He has posted the first few episodes. Uh, where have you posted them? Uh, they're on Podbean, the same as uh, Stamp Show here today. I may as well use the same company we're using. So if you go to uh, iTunes or Stitcher or anything and type in, and I found out there's relics of history already, so I have mine paper relics of history. I put the word paper in front so that people would know that it's me instead of the relics of history. But yeah, we're... Uh, so you won't be doing the story about me then? I w- <laughs> you're, you're, you're not made of paper. Anyway, we have a little clip to share. I'm kind of proud of it, so uh, here it is. The rumble of hoofs shook the pavement as the clamor of wagons filled the streets. The stink of the horses and riders evident even in the winter chill. This was an army on the move, but not of soldiers. It was an army of postal riders and mail carriers and clerks and trains and wagons and steamboats. It was 1840. Queen Victoria controlled the world. Maybe not all of it, but a sizable part. Yeah, so if you want to check it out, uh, I appreciate it. I Give me some feedback and uh, enjoy. And now our main topic. What is a plate number and how many stamps do you need for a plate block? Now, what is a plate number? One. Two. Three. <laughs> Actually, a plate number is when um, when the stamps are, the printing plates are designed, it's a inventory control number so that the printer can keep track of what's on the plate. And they record it in a book, and that way they can track the plate where, where it's at, where it's stored, whether it's on the press, off the press, uh, how many impressions came off of that printing plate. Uh, what the subject of the printing plate is, all of that. It's it's basically an inventory control number for the printer. Which is engraved on the plate. Uh, generally, yes. It is generally engraved right on the plate so that the two can't be separated. Well, as printed plates are manufactured, uh, you have different numbers. Now, early on, we had different printers, and each printer had their own numbering system. Some early printers uh, sometimes didn't use plate numbers. Well, the eighteen fifty, uh, well, eighteen forty-seven issue. The eighteen forty-seven issue had no plate number on it. Right. And I believe they only used one of each plate, though. Correct. Uh, as far as we know, we yes. know, yeah, because we haven't had really full platings of everything. I don't think. I believe number two's been plated. I don't know about number one. Yeah, because you have to get multiples really to do it. But in 1851, when they did the three center, which is sort of my bailiwick, they started off there and they had uh, four plates they were using and they didn't have plate numbers on them. And so they, you know, it didn't know a plate would have a problem in it and somebody would go, well, which plate? And go, well, it's that one over there. And I go, are you sure? Because that one over there used to be over here. They go, I got a good idea. Let's put numbers on these things. And it's funny because uh, in the 1851 issue, there is a plate zero. And the plate zero did not have a zero plate number. It just 
was removed from service before they put plate numbers on it. So if you see plate zero in the Scott's catalog under U.S. number 10s, that's because uh, it was retired prior to them putting plate numbers on it. Interesting. Yeah. Now, they also included other inscriptions in the margins of some of these stamps, most notably the imprint of the company printing the stamp. And that was really popular. And so if you're collecting plate blocks on early uh, stamps, it's generally accepted that you would collect both the plate number and the imprint because the plate number is usually next to the imprint. Did they also print the engraver's initials on some of them? Not the real early stuff. That came a little bit later, more toward the turn of the century. Yeah, I like those better because they're corners. They've got lots of border to them. Yeah, they put uh, the engraver's initials, uh, the siderographer's initials. The what? Uh, siderographer. Is that the person who grows Lays, the fruit? That's the person who lays out the plate. They lay out and finish the plate. The engraver engraves the stamp. Oh, the die. Okay, yeah. so so one person who initialed it is the person who made the die. Right. And the other person is the person who rocked the die into the plate a hundred times. Yeah. Oh, I never knew that. And uh, there's also an interesting inscription, like on the Pan Americans, you see all these different letters mm -hmm. that go across. That uh, has to do with the, I uh, can't remember, I think it's the printing crew. Or it has to do with the printing. Every time it went on the press, they added a letter to the plate. So it's not like the Tesla where everybody got their name on no. it and then they launched it into space. Is it more no. like a book, like the third edition, fourth edition? I, yeah, does it ch that's a good question. Does it change? Can you have those initials from different printings or different lengths or have different names in them? You know, uh, I never bothered to look. <laughs> course i don't get full sheets of those very often either oh i very rarely see the plate blocks with the uh initials all across the top because there's four plate blocks yeah but sometimes you and get them and only some, the one on the top sometimes they do and sometimes they don't yeah and it's the same plate number so i, I would guess that later printings had more letters or not or not we don't know we need to do research somebody out there has to do some research actually it shouldn't be too tough to research because all you need is two plate blocks of the same number and then see if they have the same letters. Of course, they might have been printed at the same time, so I guess you need more than two. But You need a minimum of two. You need a minimum of two. Well, yeah, two could prove that it didn't happen, but it can't prove that it did happen. Right. So prior to 1894, when the Bureau of Engraving Printing began printing postage stamps, the private companies were contracted for work. These companies included Rod and Wright, Hatch and Edson of New York, Toppin Carpenter Casillier and Company of Philadelphia. These two companies combined in 1879 to become the American Banknote Company. And then you also have the National Banknote Company and the Continental Banknote Company. These companies generally did not use the same numbering system. Although when you get into the banknote era, the plates were passed from one printer to the next. So the plate numbers do kind of correspond there. Once the Bureau of Engraving took over, they started numbering sequentially all of the things that they were printing, and all of the stamps that they were printing. So it doesn't matter whether it's a postage stamp or 
an airmail stamp or a newspaper stamp or whatever, all of these numbers are were sequentially assigned as the plates were created. And that way the Bureau of Engraving kept track of all the printing plates that they made. Now you fast forward into the 1980s and you start getting into uh, coil stamps and you start to see plate numbers on coil stamps. There were, a, well, technically, though, there were plate numbers on coil stamps before that. Yes, but they were always trimmed off because or, they were basically made from other plates. So they were basically made from the, the printing plates at the Bureau. When they started with the plate number coils, those were purposely on them. Those were a design purposely element. designed that way. Yeah. And they would start with one, and then, and whenever they changed something, the number would change. Whether they changed the plate, they changed the uh, something on the press. These numbers would change, and they would go up as the as the printing went on. Yeah, because I know a couple people who are very big into uh, collecting coil captures, plate number captures on coil stamps. Right. And those uh, are the, those are the early ones where they were trimmed off. Yeah. But when they were trimmed badly, you could see the number. Right. So then you move from having a plate number of a, a sequential plate number starting with one for each issue to having multiple numbers on a multicolor press. And each number indicates is printed in a different color. So when you have a four-color process, you have a four-color plate number. Each number of the plate number is then printed in a, a different color. And those plate numbers are generally have a prefix that will tell you which printer printed it. Because in the, in the 1980s and 90s, the Bureau of Engraving started contracting out some of their stamp printing work. And in the late 90s, I believe it was, that they completely shut down from printing stamps. In, the 19, in 1980, prefixes had a different purpose than just adding to the plate number. They were used to denote which private printer printed the stamps. Plate numbers preceded by A were printed by Ashton Potter. V was for Avery Dennison. G was for Guilford Gravier. And B was for the Bureau of Engraving and Printing. And that has kind of continued on to this day. Now, they have changed the way that they number the plates. Now, if they change the paper or something like that, they don't necessarily change the, the plate number. Well, we have a worldwide audience, so why don't we talk a little bit about uh, Great Britain also? Because they have a very interesting way of doing their plate numbers that started uh, with their... Uh... Well, their plate numbers aren't actually on the plate in some cases. Well, you're talking about the early plate numbers. Yeah, the Victorias. The Victorias, where the plate number is actually part of the stamp design. And it's actually a way for you to identify what stamp it is. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Not only do you have the plate number, a lot of times you'll have the position number on the plate as yeah. well. You'll have letters that tell you where it is on the plate. Well, I have a large collection of Great Britain number 33s, which are the uh, very, very common one penny red with the Queen Victoria on it. And they have the plate numbers on the side, and it goes from plate number 77 up to 225. And, of course, as to be expected, the valuable one is the first one and the last one because they obviously didn't use them very much. 
But if you look over on the sides, you can actually see on every single stamp what the plate number was. And then it also gives letters for the position, so you know where that stamp was actually printed on that plate also. So AH will be the, what, eighth, ninth stamp across the top row and stuff like that. Very interesting for uh, Britain, Great Britain collectors. And then when you get into the later issues, they started the numbering again. So you will have like the six pence and the one shilling, and you can tell the, just by looking at the corners, or excuse me, it's usually on the sides, by the sides, if this is plate number four, you know what stamp it is. You don't even have to look it up. It's just plate number four, that's this stamp. And uh, the United States never was, well, first of all, we didn't put our plate numbers on the stamps except for the coils. You know, it, it it really makes identifying British stamps really easy. Yeah, now, there's also another w- method of numbering that is more like a serial number. Those are, those are collected as plate number blocks as well. But in, in, in essence, it's – and you see a lot of this in maybe South America and uh, some other countries where they – the British crown, the crown agents did this a lot. Yes, and they, they sequentially number the sheets as they were printed. And so uh, that's a way for them to keep track of the inventory and prevent loss due to theft. But it also makes every sheet unique. Yeah, so they're not plate numbers. They're right. number blocks instead of plate blocks, I guess. Right. I wonder, do they call them number blocks instead of plate blocks, or do they call them plate blocks still? I don't know. I don't collect them, and when I get them, I try to sell them. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's not something that I'm generally interested in. Oh, they're stamps. You have to be interested in all stamps. I think it's a law. Well, see, if I was interested in the stamp, I'd just tear off the salvage. Oh, good point. <laughs> <laughs> I don't collect salvage. Now, for the U.S., um, we are very fortunate to have a book that covers the plate numbers. It's called the Durland Plate Number Catalog, and that's printed by the United States Stamp Society, which is a society that is basically focused on U.S. stamps. And over the years, they've collected all this printing information from the. It started out as the Bureau Issues Association. And so they only collected the information for issues printed by the Bureau of Engraving and Printing. In recent years, they've expanded to include all the more recent issues that have been printed by the private printers. And the earlier ones. Like I said, they put – Durlin doesn't list U.S. number 11s? I thought the they did. The Durlin catalog starts at number 246. Oh, really? Yes. Oh. So even the Colombians are not listed. Oh. One of the great things about Durlin's, though, from us – point of stamp collect or from expertizing is we will get a plate block and we may not be able to see a proper clear uh, watermark or a type variety or something like that and you look up the plate number and it's like oh that's type 3a gotta be sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't because sometimes they use the same plate for different types of paper it's not always useful when you're dealing with a watermark but it's definitely useful when you're dealing with a type mm. new issues the united states september 13th the usps released the first responder stamp the stamp celebrating the men and women who respond to critical situations with skill dedication 
and Uncommon Bravery features a firefighter, paramedic, and police officer appearing to head into action in a haze of smoke. That's a haze of smoke? I thought it was just like sort of background. Oh, well, sorry. The first day ceremony was held at the Aerial Fire Depot and Smoke Jumper Center in Missoula, Montana. The first responder stamp was designed by artist Brian Stauffer, working with art director and designer Antonio Alcala and designer Ricky Altizer, and is being issued in a sheet of 20. Well, Canada had to say this. Anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. Oh, you can. Yes, I can. Oh, you can. Yes, I can. Oh, you can. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Canada is also celebrating first responders this week with a series of releases each day. The stamps feature paramedics, armed forces, search and rescue, firefighters, and police officers. Each stamp features a black and white foreground image of a man or woman of the profession with a colored background action scene. Yeah, these are nice. The first responder stamp. stamp when we first looked at it was like, this is a cool stamp. And it is. The I have a sheet here. We looked at it. It's a really nice stamp. But Canada just trounced it, unfortunately. <laughs> and they're doing one each day this week. I don't even have all of them. I'll have to post more images later because I don't have all the images because not all the stamps have been released. Yeah, everybody who's listening, please go to the website and look at the show notes. You Stamp. can see everything we are talking about. Stampshowheretoday.com. I like it. And, you know, Canada tends to do this, and the United States doesn't. They, we both put, like, a picture of whatever we want to show or whoever we want to show. But in the background, we always ignore the background. Canada puts it into context. If you're talking about pirates... We'll have like a picture of a pirate. They'll have a picture of a pirate, and in, in the background, it'll show like ships, pirate ships floating around and doing pirate stuff. Oh, yeah. Who was the guy with the great hat? That Canadian stamp? Who was oh, that? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. That's an early episode. Yeah, that, that was, was a fabulous stamp. That was for Black History uh, Month. Yeah. It, oh, I cannot remember the person, but I remember that the uh, United States put out the height stamp, which was a lady in a purple dress wearing. Pearls. pearls with absolutely no background. Mm-hmm. And this was, you know, the ship and the hat. And oh, the, in the, oh the, the boats in the background. And it, it, Costa. I think his name was Costa. You might be right. Yes. We'll put it in a cash correction. <laughs> the Royal Mail is releasing the final set of World War I stamps honoring the centenary of the end of the war. The set of stamps released September 13th is a set of six stamps featuring 100 poppies, Anthem for Doomed Youth, Second Lieutenant Walter Tull, We Are Making a New World, The Grave of the Unknown Warrior, and Lieutenant Francis Hopgood's Goggles. We will include a link in the show notes where you can find more information about these stamps. Yeah, I didn't go into all the uh, explanation on these stamps because there's just a lot. Because each one, um, the 100 poppies, for instance, is they actually, the photographers took pictures of 100 poppies and then they overlaid them on top of each other to make one image. And it's just pretty cool the way they made it look. Yeah. But each stamp has a story like that. And I'm like, that's too much for us to explain all in one go. So I will definitely have the link for the uh, the show notes of where you can go and read all about these. Because each one is an artistic project or a poem or some sort of story. 
Yeah, I can see the 100 poppies. It's sort of a blurry poppy, but I can. It, it's an impressive looking stamp. It really stands out. And then uh, the person's goggles. Obviously, he was an aviator, and it shows a picture of some beat up uh, aviator goggles. So I guess he was a fine fellow who was shot down or something. Uh, shows battlefield carnage right. and then there's a picture of uh oh i'm going to guess he's african-american that's what he sort of looks like that's the second lieutenant walter tall yeah and then a little uh, brief uh caption from a poem nice pretty looking stamps very pretty but wasn't he british it's a british set yeah a britain kind of uh but African-American might not be the... Oh, yeah. <laughs> good point, good point. He was, he was probably just plain old African, or he could have been Indian, I mean. Or he could have been British. I think he was British. Well, guaranteed he was British. 100%. He wouldn't be on a British stamp if he wasn't British. What shows we got coming up, Tom? Well, there's a lot of shows again this weekend. Uh, stamp X is September 12th through 18th. That's a long one, but that's in London. So if you happen to be in London and want to extend this, want to attend a stamp show, there's an on-the-road course uh, September 13th. Well, you're too late if you're listening to this now because that's today. <laughs> um, but it was EFOs and you, how you can benefit from postal blunders. And that was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And CPEX is September 14th through 16th in Tukwila, Washington, and their website is cpexshow.org. There's Milkopex, September 14th through 16th in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and that's milkopex.org. And there's Awpex, which is September 15th and 16th in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We should do research on why these are named this way. I mean, Milpex is obvious. But Apex, I know. Isn't a stamp show Steve having a show this weekend? Yes, he is at Fullerton. The Fullerton stamp show is this weekend. And I will be there. And oh, there's I also a, a... I did a terrible uh, job. I missed Steve's show. I'm sorry. Yeah. And there's also a Las Vegas uh, stamp and coin show this weekend. I thought that was like the third or fourth weekend. That's the stamp show. This is a stamp and coin show. Oh. So uh, they, add co- they add coins. It's more special? Ew, well, there's more people. Oh. <laughs> no, they... The uh, Las Vegas Stamp Show is eh, seven dealers, and the Stamp and Coin Show, they still probably have seven stamp dealers. Same seven stamp dealers. Yeah, <laughs> but they have, they'll have they have a hundred other dealers of everything from coins to currency to medieval armor and weapons. Wait, to, when is this? Uh, this weekend. It's over at the, uh, I forget what the name of the hotel is, but it's the one where the tram goes. You got Tom's attention with medieval weapons. Yeah. I know, right? Well, I'm just trying to f- figure out how to fit that in with uh, Las Vegas also hosting the annual duck stamp competition this weekend. Oh, yeah. We should put that in the notes here. I just did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> so that's uh, September 14th and 15th at Springs Preserve in Las Vegas is the annual uh, duck stamp art contest for who gets to be, whose artwork gets to be on the next duck stamp federal. Which comes out in June of next year. Which will come out in June of next year. And as Groucho would say, why a duck? Why a duck? (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, thank you for listening. This has been Stamp Show here today, episode number 190. I'm Tom. This is Cash. This is Scott. I'm Dawn. And I'm Stan. And Katrina's still here. And she's still here. Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.